Welcome back, everyone. This is Eric Ellison with the Digital Education Podcast. And if you've been following us, we've been doing some of the normal podcasts. Um, we've also been doing the leadership lessons from Lasso season two. And we've been doing this monthly podcast called uh, Stories of Becoming More Human, where we talk to educators, friends about how um, they've become different people and different professionals because of it through interactions with their students. And so my buddy Dennis came up with the idea. So Dennis Eastman, I'm going to turn it over to you and, and let you introduce our guest for today. It is indeed a fantastic privilege to be back. And uh, like you say, with real life educators doing real life stuff in the um, definite interest of changing the lives of students and being changed in the process. And uh, today's guest is no exception, uh, a really exceptional educator. Uh, Doran Zinger was the first science teacher that I had the privilege of hiring at Nova Academy uh, Early College High School in Santa Ana, California. Uh, many years ago, he has since uh, moved through the ranks of teaching and is now an administrator. We're going to have him tell us a little bit more about uh, what he's doing now and how he's been impacted on this odyssey as a teacher. So Doran, thanks for joining us today. Tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and what you're doing. Thanks, Dennis and Erica. Uh, great to be here. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think starting with uh, my story, my history, uh, will we'll give some context to how, how I got here. Um, one of my strongest identities is probably that of an immigrant. Um, and I am the child of immigrants. My parents were born in communist Romania and uh, independently their families uh, left in the late sixties. They were Jewish, so they settled in Israel which is where my sister and I uh, were born. They, they really thought that was the promised land and, and later came to believe it was not. So um, neither of my parents um, attended college, but my dad was, was a skilled technician and he worked, uh, he worked for a company that was a multinational and we moved to Brazil. So I lived after um, living in Israel in my youth. I lived in Brazil for about three years um, and then uh, he real they realized that was not the promised land either and decided to come to the United States and, and through work were able to um, move first to Chicago where I lived for three years uh, and then moved uh, to Southern California where I've, I've spent the bulk of my life. So the early part of my life um, had a lot of moving and then things kind of settled down. Um, was not the best college student, took me, uh, I don't share this with my students very often, or at least not early on. It took me 12 years to graduate from college. Uh, my wife says I'm a late bloomer, and, and, and I think that's a nice way of, nice way of putting it. Um, and I was, uh, as I was going through college, I was, I was pretty disillusioned and um, worked in retail and did some other things and eventually opened some of my own businesses. Uh, during the dot-com era, I was uh, a web developer and, um, and worked on that. Eventually, um, I, I owned my own stereo shop uh, in Southern California just because I wanted to build a thing and see it work. Um, 
but things kept tugging me towards teaching and education. Every job I ever had uh, had some sort of educational components. Even when I was a waiter uh, in my college years, I was always the person training new new wait staff. When when I worked retail, similarly, I I trained folks. When I became a franchisee, I wrote a franchise manual. So it was almost like I was avoiding the path of teaching or the formal path of teaching for a really long time. And after I sold my car stereo shop, I said, you know, it's time to it's, it's time to go that way, which is uh, where we met. And I think that that's that's interesting. Also, I was I was in this program that wasn't so illustrious, but one of my classmates was telling me about this very strange school where he was teaching like three or four different preps and small classes. Um, but they were looking for a science teacher. And I'm like, this is this is good because uh, I'm still finishing my program and I'm and I'm looking for that. So uh, I know we'll get more into uh, what happened with Nova. But I was a teacher for a number of years, um, perhaps foolishly or or as as uh, as as we were talking earlier, um, Dennis, uh, with with some sort of visions for grander change. I became an administrator. I had the good fortune of um, overseeing two schools as part of that. And then when that came to an end and I was looking for another thing, fairly late in my career, I decided to um, get my PhD. So I went, got my PhD. Again, folks around me were saying, you're going to become a teacher of teachers. And, and I'm like, no, no, I'm going on my PhD journey. Let me open my mind. All of and of course, inevitably, uh, that is how it all ended. And today, I'm, uh, I, I tell folks I have the best job in the world. I get to work with undergraduates here in Southern California and at UC Irvine, uh, helping prepare um, science and math teachers. So that's, that's, that's the, the rough journey. I love it. And I sure appreciate the uh, rough journey. I love that you said your wife refers to you as a late bloomer. <laughs> We're cut from the same cloth, apparently. Uh, I was curious, can you please um, go back to your first experience as a educator um, at Nova Academy and talk to us about how um, you were already very service-minded when you came to Nova, and that was something that really captured um, captured my attention during our interview. And I'm just very curious if you could talk to our audience about your experience at Nova. How did that um, change or help shape who you would become as an educator? Yeah, I think um, I think the essence of it is. Um, coming in with a very saviorist mindset, uh, believing with a more humanizing and liberatory mindset. I think, you know, that, that is the essence of it. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a product of my own upbringing and education, right? And, and when we think about STEM and science here in the United States, um, it's very kind of antiseptic. It's very cut and dry. It's actually very dehumanizing. And, uh, I know when I came in, what I gave primacy to in learning were just very abstract notions of science, right? It, 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 it wasn't about the students. It was, it was almost kind of missionary in a way, right? Like I, I am bringing science, you know, to, to these folks. 
And um, and one thing that happened is they rejected it. I mean, uh, you know, we were an under-resourced school, but I mean, I remember I didn't have a whole lot of stuff and, you know, I would just go through 90 minutes of slides, right? Like literally 90 minutes of slides of these poor high schoolers. This was, you know, on a block schedule. I had students who had me back to back. Uh, so they had me for three hours of, of just pontification on, you know, geological processes and chemical equations. And uh, I just didn't know any better. I just did not know any better. Uh, but what I appreciate that you said, Dennis, is at least I went in with an open mind. So I had some ideas and, and frankly, my preparation wasn't all that great, but I was um, willing to listen. And I, and I also remember you at some point saying, look, you can make mistakes, just don't make them a whole lot more times than, than twice. Um, so what was interesting is my first semester was just brutal. And, um, and I wanted to get better. Like I wanted to do better. I, I honestly just didn't know how. And one of the things that I devised is, uh, you know, thinking back to my, my kind of business days, I was very uh, customer centered, right? And, and not just customer centered in the sense that I want to squeeze as much money out of a customer as I, as I could, but really developing long-term relationships with, with your clientele, because that, that was just part and parcel of who, of who I was, that it wasn't transactional. It was really about a long-term relationship. So I devised this feedback survey and I still have copies of it, you know, almost 15 years later. And that first semester was just brutal. You don't get us. You don't know who we are. Uh, you, you know, you don't care about us. It, it was, I mean, it was, it was harsh, but there was no arguing with it. And I remember um, coming to you as the administrator there and going, what the heck am I going to do? And um, and some of the things were pretty, were just like, get out of your own head in some ways and stop taking yourself so seriously. So I remember one of the things that I started doing was just sitting down and having lunch with the students, right? Like just sitting down and having a conversation um, with them during lunch and, and showing them that I was human. Um, and also, you know, bucking against some of these things that you hear about, like, don't smile until like December or something like that, right? There's, there's a lot of stuff in teacher preparation that is really dehumanizing. Like, don't let them know too much about you, because once they find stuff out about you, so, you know, they're going to blackmail your side. Like, yeah, I mean, just all this really ludicrous dehumanizing stuff. Um, and as soon as we started um, humanizing um, you know, that started some shifting and, and it's funny, um, you know, when we were getting ready for this, I looked around, like, I started thinking about like, what do I still carry from that? So obviously in a podcast, you can't see it, but on my wall, I have a giant four foot by, I don't know, three foot banner that students wrote for me. I call it my window cause it's done in blue where they, um, when I left the classroom, they made that big banner. And behind me, there's a skateboard and a painting that students had created. And on my door here in my office, there's a caricature of me from a student. And I, I keep thinking about these caricatures. Students 
started drawing little caricatures of me. And again, you know, the traditional teachers like, oh, they're being disrespectful. This is awful. I should be punishing them. And initially that was my mindset, but eventually I created a contest where, you know, everybody can write and draw their caricature and the best caricature would win a prize. And I would put it up on, on my wall. Um, so, and, and it still lives with me, you know, a decade later uh, on my door. And, and I think it's also interesting because the student that, that um, drew this particular thing ended up dropping out. And I think that, that also made me think a little bit about, you know, the value of humans, right? And, you know, does finishing high school matter? Does, does finishing college matter? Of course, of course they do, but the humanity of a person is the humanity of a person. They make an impact on your life um, regardless, but it was, it was really transformative. The last, the last thing that I have in my office that I wanna share is one that I put right in front of my face. It's right above my monitor every day. And uh, it's an email from a student who at, at Nova, we had this family class, which persisted for four years. So you're with the same student for four years. Uh, you really have an opportunity to, to know who they are, know their families. And this email says, hi, Mr. Zinger. I wanted to let you know that I did not make it to UCI. I'm sorry I failed you. And like, I sit with that all the time of of like the power of teachers like by the way this student got into another another university but somehow this student felt like they let me down by not getting into a particular university and that's that's really kind of shaken me ever since of you know what are the expectations who's setting these expectations for these students and and this notion of accountability to each other rather than you know, accountability to some sort of an external force or, or, you know, I'm the teacher, so it's all about me, but really thinking about, you know, what counts as success for students and, and finding ways and places to, to, to just honor them. So Doran, this is incredible. I have so many questions and Dennis is hundred percent right when we love the pause, but you know what, as we keep going, I'm wondering, You'd made a bunch of different comments, like how we were given just such bad advice as in our teacher prep programs, the things that you mentioned, and then I'm sure we could come up with a list of even more. Um, and But then you also mentioned your artifacts of whether it's the survey results or whether it's the caricature, or whether that's that, that letter from that student. When you think about being a teacher of teachers, like what are the ways that you live that out differently because of these experiences with those teachers so that they get the good advice, they get the humanizing advice, they get the, the life-giving you know, relationship with you that prepares them to step in those places like we, unlike, we, unlike us in our experiences. Yeah, I mean, one is, this is the reason it's the best job in the world. I get to puzzle with that all the time and think about it. Um, but as I think about it, always, I, I, I actually think about teacher trajectories, right? And, and, and let's also talk about the absurdity of the notion that every person that enters my classroom, so I get to teach and direct this program, but the absurdity that everybody comes in somehow the same, and then they also ought to leave the same, I think is really problematic. Teachers are on their own trajectories. They come in with different backgrounds, different experiences, you know, as we joked earlier, I was a late bloomer and, 
you know, I think part of it is who's to say, who are we to judge to some degree in terms of facilitating the journey? And if we're really humanizing and liberatory and we're walking alongside them, right, to what extent do we judge? But um, to your point, I think it's it starts, I teach our methods class sequence. And the first thing we always start with is your own identity, right? And who are you really? And who do you know yourself to be? And what are your experiences? So I don't do grades anymore. We've gone to ungrading. Our collective goal is to become the best teachers we possibly can be. It's not to get A's, it's not to get B's. If we're truly vested in creating a more just, equitable world, we just need to be the best educators we need to be. So then we start interrogating our own experiences. And uh, I often start around kind of carceral and punitive pedagogy. And, and I'm I mean, look, I'm at UCI. This is a research one university. The students that made it here are, are the best of the best, but they've all had trauma. They've all had trauma. It doesn't matter if they took a bunch of APs uh, or not, but I will tell you this, the next year that I don't hear from a student, either they or one of their classmates soiled themselves in class because they couldn't go to the bathroom will be the first time I don't hear that story. Every single year I've ever taught teachers, someone knows someone or has experienced a situation where either a teacher wouldn't let them go to the bathroom or they were so concerned about grades that they would, you know, you know do you want to save that grade pass? And I think it's really important to just stop and process. I think we're, everything is in such a hurry of let's get these standards down and those standards down. But you know, to, to, to this idea about humanizing, let's think about the trauma that school has really caused students. And, um, and I think it's done that to everyone. Let, let's think about the joy that we've derived in school, right? It's not just about trauma, there's joy there, there as well. But we spend an extensive amount of time building community and culture together. Um, and we also analyze who we are. I mean, part of that for me has, has helped me understand how, how I was assimilated into American culture. I don't speak very much Hungarian anymore. I, right, I, I have kind of forsaken some of who I am and where I come from. And um, there have been reasons for that. So we have conversations about that at a very personal level before we start going to systemic issues. I think it's very hard to think about uh, equity broadly until you realize what it looked like. Oh, I was the only student, like, again, I hear these things all the time, right? The male teacher calling the female student sweetheart. And, and that, that, that one instance, just destroying all the credibility of that teacher, right? Um, uh, you know, the student saying, you know, my peer was telling me, you're the smartest black person I know. Okay, it's like, let's stop and let's stop and let's talk about what that means because that's happening in classrooms all the time. Let's think about this. But also, I mean, these are conversations that are not gonna happen in a place that isn't safe and, and communal. So five, six weeks, we do some pretty intensive community builders. We have students working groups. It's and, and again, it's, it's the shared mission and vision of we want to become the best educators we possibly can be so we can be equitable and socially just because we know that the system is, is now working for most students um, and, and we need to do something about it. Um, <clears throat> Dorn, I love uh, 
love, love hearing about um, your journey, who you've become as an educator, what you've learned along the way. Um, and I know that uh, it may feel like I'm, I'm taking you back because I do believe that uh, with, uh, with the Roman philosophers, our beginning determines our end. Um, many times uh, what we, how we were trained and what we experienced um, determines what's next. And I love hearing even from your formal training in the university, and then you walk into a real life classroom situation and you go, no disrespect, but I got to leave all that. <laughs> I got I to gotta change what I'm doing here because this is not in the manual. Um, and that's what I'm hearing you talk to us about. This was not in the manual. I didn't sign up for the kids who were going to say, uh, you don't know me and you don't care to know me. Um, so that's really good stuff. Can you pinpoint at what point or what person at Nova back in your very first experience? Because you did, I, I will say for our, our audience, um, you had a radical 180 at semester. You really moved from being a uh, uh, educator who didn't necessarily know the students to being kind of a fan favorite by the end you were you were um much more human i recall you sitting at at lunch with everyone i recall you interacting intermingling hosting so i remember you hosted the science fair everybody's got to get in it doesn't matter if you put a piece of coal in a cup i don't care you've got you've got to enter um it was about inclusion, about participation, come one, come all. Uh, you became um, the paragon of let's, let's all do this. So I'm just, I'm just curious if you could briefly tell us what, what student or what event may, and there may be a composite, um, help change things for you. Yeah, so let me, let me talk about two events that, that really come to mind, but, but I also want to emphasize the importance of the space and the space that you created as an administrator, right? And, and again, having sat in that chair and also now working with novice teachers and recognizing that one of the hardest things that we run into is not even necessarily the preparation, but how do we prepare them to deal with other adults that are going to be resistant at traditional school sites? And we generally find that our, our alumni will cluster at particular schools that will give them more flexibility and, and align with their own vision. So I say that partly to say that, you know, you as the administrator created a space that was really safe to try to be human, and not to constantly look over your shoulder to see if you're compliant, right? Because there's compliance on students, but there's also heavy compliance on, on teachers. But I'll share two examples um, that were particularly meaningful, some of which I now share with my students. So the first one was I booked probably in that first semester and I had a student sitting in the front row and, and I was always contentious with males. And it took me a while to realize that I was triggering it, right? But again, with traditional preparation, I need to be in charge. 
And I need to be the alpha in that space to show my authority, which we actually know is, is it does not work. And the students who are going to have the most resistance are going to be, are going to be your male students. Um, so this particular student kept asking to go to the bathroom uh, during my 90 minutes of, of whatever it is that I was spewing out. And I, I just got sick and tired of being interrupted. Because uh, it would be every day, you know, he's getting tired. I mean, I can see he's getting tired and bored, even though what I'm telling him is, is pure genius. And um, he's asking to go to the bathroom. So about the third or fourth time he does it, I just kind of go off on him. And, and, and this, is, this is a time I did not have much grace and I was not very thoughtful. And I'm like, you're not going to the bathroom for the rest of the semester. You're just going to sit there quiet. And, and, and that's that. And, and it was probably more poignant than that in front of everybody. And literally, I saw the light go out in his eye. And, and I, if you've been a teacher and you've done something like that to a student, you'll, you'll remember that. So I was very high and mighty and very upset. And I remember walking to your office afterwards, Dennis, and then you sharing what was going on with that student. The fact that their, uh, one of their parents was incarcerated, the fact that he was the sole breadwinner of that family and that every day after school, he would go work a full eight hour shift and then make it to school. And, and I'm going, what a, and, and I'm looking at the mirror at that point and I, and I can say nothing but bad things about myself, most of which I'm I'm not going to say here, but it, you know, it really brought me to this realization that, you know, the fact that this student makes it to school is a victory. The fact that he cares enough to show up every day, that's, that's a Herculean effort for this particular student. And I can judge them, you know, for fitting into a particular mold or I can, um, I can try to understand why it is that things are happening, right? Because again, I think often with traditional preparation, it's about, it's about teaching standards and following the rules, not thinking about learners and students. Uh, that very much dehumanizes. So the, the good news with him is I was able to repair that relationship. And I, and I think you know, there's a measure of humility that you need to have. And we had conversations and I apologize and it took time to repair, to repair that relationship. Um, the other one, Dennis, that you brought up is the science course. I remember this. I mean, this is my first year teaching. I'm, I'm effectively finishing my credential. And one of the other teachers would said like, it'd be cool to have a science fair. And this is like two weeks before the, the end of the school year. Right. And I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And I'm like, you know what, this is going to be fun. And, um, it was one of those things where it's like, you know what, it's after standardized testing and all that other business that people really care about. We're just going to spend two weeks. We're going to do it on whatever you want to do it on. So, of course, you had the, the goof troop who was going to do the exploding volcano, right? You, you had to have that group and we limited it to one. And I remember some of those guys walking around with signs, you know, uh, eruption in 10 minutes, right? <laughs> it's just like, okay. But I have to say that the hamsters, that's right. Uh, I have to say that I remember, this is almost 15 years ago, and I remember many of those projects. One of them was about animal testing on beauty products. 
because that was something that mattered um, that mattered to students. But the neat thing about that is literally it was a small school, but every student got to participate. Every student got to show that they're knowledgeable somehow. You know, we had these kind of judges walking around and saying stuff and doing stuff, but, and it was in a couple of classrooms, but it really gave everybody an opportunity to shine. And I have to say that in the, in the subsequent years, that little tiny science fair, the school that had, I don't know, 40 or 70 students, then turned into a science fair with 200 students where every student is presenting and, and 200 plus students, 300 students where every student is presenting, where families are coming down and, and looking at the amazing things that their kids are doing. And again, some of these questions you might think were goofy, like what's the dirtiest part of your body? What's like the dirtiest part of our campus? Uh, which hamburger is like the least healthy for you and makes you feel icky? You know, which energy drinks actually work and actually giving their peers, you know, Red Bulls probably wasn't the best thing, but like Red Bulls and Monsters and, and figuring out how they, um, how they felt, which, you know, which UV, you know, lip gloss actually worked best. But these were all things that the students were interested in that they got a chance to explore and, um, and to show how smart they are and, and their brilliance. And, and I think that really helped me develop a more expansive view of what counts as learning. And again, shifting, shifting this notion of control and power. And, and again, I'll, I'll defer to Dennis on this, that uh, a thing that still sticks with me, don't confuse activity with productivity. He used to preach this on a, on a regular basis and, and really, when I when and it was funny because parents at some point parents came by the school and they would walk into classrooms and I'm like oh they're gonna come into my classroom and they're gonna see the chaos and um, when they left they left the note and said you know when we walked in we really didn't know what was going on there was a lot of stuff going on but as we talked to students we really realized that there was learning going on even though it seems like it's you know out of control these notions of control so. Um, you know, I, I think that the two big things um, to your question, Dennis, is, is one, just like humanizing and really humanizing along with grace and understanding. By the way, the students are giving you grace all day by sitting through you this 90 minute pontification, right, that, that you're not acknowledging, um, but also um, making what they know count. And again, I take that into teacher preparation by recognizing that the students walking into my classroom have you know 15 16 years of training already they've been trained in all the ways we ought not to do things and i can't really ignore those we have to talk about those and recognize the things that are harmful in that before we can move on to something right to something new because their own identities are tied into that so that that maybe is kind of the connection um uh connection to that and and i have to say now i'm at a point we don't do grades. Students can show their learning however they want. I got to tell you, a couple of days ago, I cried. A student, I asked students as, as they finish my, my course sequence to write this equity plan, which is, you know, how they're going to maintain an equitable classroom. And they can do it however they want. And this student wrote a three-page poem. And I got to tell you, it was like a personal journey. And I was, I was having a hard time holding it together just because it, 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 it was very emotional and, and evoked very strong emotions and also reflected the depth of thinking of this student. 
which I would never have been able to see if I said, okay, this is going to be a three page assignment that you follow this and you follow that. So um, decentering de the teacher and centering the students more, but really in a meaningful way, it's not just what do you remember about, you know, the Pythagorean theorem, but you know, what, what, what are you bringing with you? What are your own experiences? And let's talk about why they're important and why they count. So, so Dennis with Doran, we got to do someday, we got to do a separate podcast conversation on deconstructing our profession and reconstructing a better one. Cause Doran, so much of what you're talking about is, is that the kind of this, how do we not only understand ourselves, but then deconstruct what's happened in our profession, in our schools and in our world. And, and it's very much, I think, you know, that what you're talking about has been very much of my 20 plus year journey in this profession. And so I love it. And so some of it, so much of it, you know, just resonates with me. Maybe last question. And I love like just ending with like tangible because you've talked about so many different things. If I'm a teacher and I'm looking at like, what are these safe spaces to kind of give up some of that control, lead to that chaos that is actually the productive chaos, the controlled chaos. What's a tangible, like it's coming towards the end of first semester, right? What would be a tangible encouragement you'd give to a new teacher that says, hey, you know what, if you're in your first semester, like where I was, what? what would you do next? Or what would be that piece of wisdom or advice that you'd leave with us today? Well, the first one is listen to your students and get to know your students. I think, again, you know, most of us would do a thing in the first day or not. Um, but I, I mean, you can't, you can't teach. I have a quote up here from Erica Rivera, and I'll, I'll read it. Maybe, maybe this will capture it. And I, I can't see it, it's behind a monitor, but the gist of it is, is, is we can claim to be able to teach students we do not understand, right? And I think the, the very first step is, do I understand, do I truly know my students? And that's not that, hey, this kid is on the football team and this kid you know, has their AirPods in all the time and, and they're listening to Marshmallow or whatever, right? It has to be a deeper thing of what do they value? What's important to them? What brings them to school? What do they aspire to be and do? Um, and, and, and really, uh, really get to know the students. I think the other piece to start thinking about is what counts as knowledge and learning and what's really important. I've one of the questions that I often ask my students is, what do you remember from high school? I do this every year, right? What do you remember from high school? And the responses are 95%, a really good teacher, a really bad teacher, a really good friend. They don't remember the content. And I bet you if we gave them a test today, most of them will remember very little of, of the quote unquote contenty stuff. And along with getting to know students, it's like, what, what am I, who am I really preparing, right? I, I prepare science and math teachers, right? And there's all these STEM pipeline pressures, but am I preparing ethical human beings that are concerned about their environment, that are concerned about their neighbors, that are concerned about inequity? And if I'm not, then what the heck am I doing, right? So I, I would say, especially now with everyone exhausted, first of all, nobody's looking. 
Nobody is watching. Everybody is too tired. Your admin, they may be coming in, but they really don't know what's going on. They're they're exhausted as well. So this it's a it's a good time to try something different and um, and really get to know your students um, and really start to think about reimagining what counts what counts as learning and knowing. Doran, we really appreciate you. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, your expertise, your experience, but then even just your story of who you are and who you're becoming. And we really appreciate that. And Dennis, thank you so much. And you got the coolest friends. <laughs> Doran, I sure appreciate your time with us today. That was fantastic.